U.S. senators are threatening to withhold financial aid and military support to Israel over West Bank settlements. These actions are diametrically opposed to the Bible and should not be considered by the United States. I will explain why on this edition of End of the Age. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. You know, the majority of prophecy in the Bible concerning the end time is focused right there on Israel. And more importantly, that just a, it's, a lot of it's focused right there on Jerusalem specifically. And so I thought we ought to talk about it today since uh, much of the world is against Israel And even some people here in the United States, and that's one position we should not be taking in the end time. You'll see why here in just a moment. The Jerusalem Post reported that Senator uh, Warren has considered restricting military aid in uh, what they consider the occupied territories or the modern day West Bank. The article states the U.S. should consider restricting military aid from being used in the quote unquote, what they consider occupied territories. They're not occupied, they're disputed territories. And this is what Senator Elizabeth Warren has said yesterday. She said, we should talk about the elephant in the room, America's military assistance to Israel, which should be untouchable, you understand. But she said this at J Street's virtual conference. She said, "Um, I said earlier that I'm committed to Israel's security and I am, I support military assistance to Israel She said, but if we're serious about arresting settlement expansion and helping to move parties towards a two-state solution, then it would be irresponsible not to consider all of the tools that we have at our disposal. One of these tools would be is restricting military aid from being used in those quote-unquote occupied territories. Again, they're not occupied. They're disputed territories. She said, by continuing to provide military aid without restriction, we provide no incentive for Israel to adjust course. In other words, she's saying we should use this to economically sanction them to bow down to the will of the United States and the international community. Now, that's what she's saying. Well, in response, Republican Jewish Coalition Executive Director Matt Brooks rejected Warren's speech, as well he should. He said that in Senator Warren's view, the decades-long strategic alliance between the United States and Israel is only useful as leverage, that's exactly what it is, to advance the anti-Israel agenda of the progressive Democrats that she leads. And to advocate, as Senator Warren does, that the U.S. pressure Israel to make concessions to the Palestinians while the Palestinian Authority condemns Israeli existence, 
that it incites violence against Israel and Jews everywhere and continues its pay-for-slay salaries to terrorists and their families, that it's disgusting. You understand much of what our tax dollars that goes to the Palestinians, they pay a lot of that to terrorists that have been uh, taken captive in things by Israel and then placed in Israeli jails. A lot of our tax dollars goes to fund some of that. Also speaking at J Street's virtual conference was Senator Bernie Sanders. And he said, I strongly believe that we must also be willing to bring real pressure to bear, including restricting U.S. aid in response to moves by either side that undermine the chances for peace. Now, can you imagine that Israel, that the United States withholding funds from Israel, imagine that. I can't even wrap my mind around somebody who would want to do that or even consider that if they understand the Bible, everything that happened there, and what the future holds for Israel. The United States absolutely must stand by, support, and protect Israel all the way throughout the end time. So these actions that are being called for by Many people, but Senator Elizabeth Warren, Senator Bernie Sanders, they are diametrically opposed to the Bible and should not be considered by the United States. So some might be asking, well, why should we support and protect Israel? Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. Let's go from the beginning to the end. I'll hit the highlights and I'll show you exactly why we must stand by support and protect Israel all the way throughout the end time. It's very important to God, so it must be very important to us. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Go get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Here it is, everybody. And I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. So in, if, that, if it was just that one verse in the Bible, I would say, hey, we've got to stand by Israel. Now, there are many others. It's all about, I mean, the, the, the Jewish people gave us our Bible, you understand. And so it's very important that we stand with them, no matter what happens. You may not agree with everything they do, but I'm going to stand with Israel. I'm going to support and protect Israel. We love Israel. And so also Genesis 15, 18, the Bible says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, the promised land, from the river of Egypt all the way to the great river, the river Euphrates. So that little old nation that sets out over there on the Mediterranean Sea, God gave that to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that lineage. And so it belongs to those people today. It was a promise from God. God chose 
uh, over time, God shows, and I'm just, uh, again, I'm going to hit the treetops, but I want you to understand why we should stand with support Israel and protect her. God shows Mount Moriah, you understand, the current Temple Mount around 2000 B.C. And then he instructed Abraham to go there and sacrifice his son Isaac. God chose the specific mount that Abraham would go to. It's currently the Temple Mount. And I'm going to go through a lot more history and going to go through some future of Israel because I want you to understand that there's a narrative being pushed in the United Nations and elsewhere around the world that we should be opposed to Israel and economically sanction her to get her to bow down to our edicts, but that is against the Bible. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. We've seen Bible prophecy fulfilled like never before. From the halls of the United Nations to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, End Time Ministries continues to reveal the Bible prophecy in the news headlines around the world every day. Whether it's through our broadcast or online at our Jerusalem Prophecy College, your gifts enable us to put vital materials in the hands of those who need it most. Because of you, we continue to replace fear with faith. In the hearts of Christians around the world, we will continue to see prophecy come to pass at an even swifter pace. We need your support. Your donation of any amount enables us to continue to broadcast and be a voice in the ever-growing censored media. To become a partner or give a one-time gift, visit endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME right now. That's 800-363-8463. Go online now. Visit endtime.com. So God sent Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah about 2000 BC. Then we're going to jump forward about a thousand years and around 1000 BC, King David moved Israel's capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. Jerusalem then remained Israel's capital for 1070 years until the Romans drove the Jews out of the city in 70 AD. During King David's reign, God instructed him to buy the Temple Mount as a place of sacrifice, the exact same place which God had sent Abraham for his sacrifice. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, we're told that David purchased the Temple Mount from Arana the Jebusite for 50 shekels of silver. 
Well, King David's son, Solomon, built the first temple on the Temple Mount, completed it in 968 B.C., and during the dedication of Solomon's temple, fire supernaturally, supernaturally fell down from heaven on the sacrifice, and the glory of God filled the temple. God miraculously chose this spot to place his name there. You understand, why do we support Israel? Because I'm in love with Jesus Christ. I love God. And God chose this place, so I'm going to support that place. Okay, you understand, I'm not going to withhold, I'm not going to threaten to withhold funding to get Israel to bow down to my edicts, no. God told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. So when the fire fell and the glory of God filled the temple, this divine event forever solidified in the Jewish mind God's approval of the temple on the Temple Mount as the center of Jewish life. And God said, again, I will put my name in Jerusalem forever. The Lord appeared to Solomon at at night after the dedication and he said, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. That's uh, 2 Chronicles 7.12. And he went on to say, for now I have chosen this sanctified house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Now these are the words of God, you understand. God chose this place. And so I love that place. If God's hand is there, then I am all in and I'm, and I'm, I'm as supportive as we're going to get. So then Second, Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 7, it states that not only will God put his name in the temple, but also he would put his name in Jerusalem forever. Jerusalem's the only city on earth in which God said he would put his name there forever. So with this pronouncement, the the wars over Jerusalem began. You know, it appeared that Satan might've been thinking, well, Hey, if you want your name there, then that's where I want my name. And since that time, there have been more wars fought over the city of Jerusalem than any other city on the planet. Well, of course, The first temple era began in uh, 968 B.C. and lasted until 586 B.C. And Solomon's first temple, it stood from 968 to 586. And when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem, carrying the people away uh, of Judea away as slaves into Babylon. That would have been Daniel, the three Hebrew children, many other people. They were all contemporaries. Well, during the following 70 years of captivity, this was when the book of Daniel was written while he was in Babylonian captivity. Well, devout Jews turned their faces three times each day. Even Daniel, you remember, that's what led him to be placed in the lion's den. He prayed three times a day. Well, the Jews, they prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem, asking God to forgive their sins and to return them to their holy city. Well, God did answer that prayer in 538 B.C. when the Persian king Cyrus released the Jews from their captivity and decreed that the temple should be rebuilt. And so the project was led by Zerubbabel, and the temple was built on the Temple Mount 
being completed in 516 B.C. And this began the second temple era. And once again, Jerusalem and the Temple Mount became the center of Jewish life. And the Jews resumed making their way to Jerusalem three times each year as commanded by God back in Deuteronomy 16, 16. So the second temple era lasted from 516 BC until 70 AD, all the way during the time of Jesus Christ. So after the completion of the second temple, Israel enjoyed a time of relative quiet under the world government of the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus had been the one that had told him to go back, you understand. So even when the Medes and the Persians were conquered by Alexander the Great and his Grecian armies, Israel still continued living in the Holy Land with Jerusalem as its capital. In 37 BC, Herod the Great captured Jerusalem and uh, ending the Hasmonean rule. And because Herod ruled Judea as a client king of the Romans, the Jews hated him. Well, in an attempt to gain the favor of the Jews, Herod the Great remodeled the second temple. And he made it much larger and more beautiful. He he built the, the big platform that's there. And it was said of the refurbished temple that he that has never seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building in his life. Well, then comes the birth of Jesus. And since 600 BC, the Jews had lived through global empires of of the the Babylon, uh, the Medes and the Persians, the Grecians, and now Rome. And in spite of living under the domination of one world government after another, there were many of them, there still burned in the hearts of the Jewish people the promise of the Messiah that who would liberate them from their enemies and establish a reign of peace and justice. Well, in the 400 years preceding the birth of Jesus, no prophet had appeared to the Jewish people. And it was as though God had simply fallen silent. This was between the Old and the New Testament here. The last word they received from God had been from the prophet Malachi. And he said, behold, I send you, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's Malachi 4, 5 through 6. So the Jews looked for the physical prophet Elijah to come. They hoped for an end to all the strife that continually ripped Israel apart. Well, then one day it happened. Wise men from the east showed up at Herod's palace and they claimed that they had been guided by this supernatural star to come worship a child that was to be the king of the Jews. Now you understand this is all happening right here in Israel, in, where, in Jerusalem. Well, Herod summoned the Jews, uh, high priest, and he said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born according to the prophets? And that's the, the high priest said, well, that's specifically prophesied in the scripture. Micah clearly tells us that, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the nations, uh, among the thousands of Judah, 
Yet out of thee shall he come forth, um, come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. That's Micah 5, 2. So Herod explained to the wise men, he said, um, hey, Bethlehem was some five miles to the south. And he instructed them to return to him after he found the newborn child so that he too could worship him. Well, of course, most of you know the story that Herod didn't really want to worship the king of the Jews. Instead, he wanted to kill him. Well, about the same time, shepherds were out on the sh- in the shepherd's fields just outside Bethlehem. They were visited by a host of angels. And the angels declared to them and said, hey, we bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the shepherds left their flocks to go find this child. Sure enough, they found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, just like the angels had said, and they bowed to worship him. And the reports of these events swept through Bethlehem, swept through Jerusalem, and throughout the rest of Israel like wildfire. And once again, hope sprang up within the hearts of the Jewish people. Well, 30 years later, John the Baptist came preaching in the hills of Judea. And he didn't preach like the other rabbis. He preached with great power. And he said, hey, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 3, 2. And the people wondered, could this be Elijah promised by the prophet Malachi who would come before the coming of the Messiah? I mean, John even said, there cometh one after me that is mightier than I. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Matthew uh, 3, 11. Well, then Jesus came preaching and he healed the sick. He even, he raised the dead. He fed 5,000 men, including the women and children with five loaves and two fish. Surely he was the Messiah, right? I mean, many in Israel believed on him, but the religious leaders of Israel hated him. They were jealous of him because of the crowds of the people that followed after Jesus. And he was a threat to the religious traditions that they had formed through the centuries. And he was a threat to the religious authority that they had exercised exercised over the people of Israel. So he could not be tolerated, right? He had to die. They had to get rid of him. So three days prior to his crucifixion, Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives looking over the city of Jerusalem And Matthew records his words. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered together, uh, gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under his wings, and you would not. That's Matthew 23, 37. So Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, prophesying its destruction. The book of Luke describes the same scene as Matthew, but in a little bit more detail. Luke said, and when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. And he said, if thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee around 
and keep thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The Messiah was right there with them and they didn't know it. Well, of course, the prophecies of the destruction of the temple in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, they came to pass. Rome destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And it was only, what, 30 or 40 years after the prophecy of Jesus that the Roman armies came and camped against Jerusalem. They invaded the city and burnt the temple to the ground. A fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Jesus prophesied about that himself, as well as did Daniel back in Daniel chapter 9. So then uh, in in 135 AD, you say, well, why are we talking about all this? Because I want you to understand why we support Israel. If you understand anything about God and the Bible, then you love and support and protect Israel. Because much of the much of the end time Bible prophecy, much of the history of our Christian experience has to do with Israel, Jerusalem. God said, I will put my name there. That's the only city on the planet that he did that to. And so you have to feel a kindred spirit with those people if you claim to be a Christian. We claim to be a Christian nation, so we should support and protect Israel. And love the people. Now, I love everybody. But I'm not trying to, I I don't want my government economically sanctioning them to get them to bow down to their edicts. No, absolutely not. I want to love and support and protect them. And I'm giving you the history of all of this because I want you to know why. This is not a figment of somebody's imagination. This is not a, just some dreamed up scenario This is Bible. All of my childhood heroes were biblical uh, prophets and different things and, and heroes of the Bible. King David, Abraham, Noah's Ark, Moses. All of these things were awesome to me as a child. So we love Israel. I believe in the Bible, so I love Israel. So then in uh, 135 AD, the Roman emperor Hadrian totally banned the Jews from living in Jerusalem. And this began almost 2,000 years of Jewish exile. Actually, it was, what, uh, 1878 years from the Temple Mount and the city that God had said, I will put my name there forever. So everybody, when you hear this false narrative that the the, um, anti-Israel narratives that come from the United Nations and even people in our own government that want to economically sanction Israel. No, no, we don't support that. We support Israel, we love them, and we want to protect them all the way to the end. 
Move Mountains with Irvin Baxter. This book by Irvin's grandson provides 30 days of devotion that will enhance your relationship with God and others. Authentic illustrations from early morning devotions at end time will help you find your purpose and eliminate fears. Commit to taking this 30-day journey and experience real life change. Get your book for only $14.99. Call 1-800-363-8463 or go to endtime.com slash move. Major internet companies are silencing and censoring Christian voices online. These companies are trying to control what you see and hear. Almost 200 videos of ours have been marked as restricted online right now. That's why we launched End of the Age Plus, a platform where the truth won't be censored, a platform where we can preach the message of the gospel. When you subscribe to End of the Age Plus today for just $12.99 a month, you can watch all of our content in a secure, easy-to-view way from your favorite device. When you go to watch.endtime.com and subscribe, you'll get instant access to all of our teaching resources, including Revelation, the Unveiling of Jesus Christ, Understanding the End Time, End Time Magazine, and so much more. We will not censor our message to comply with what the world deems as politically correct. Go to watch.endtime.com right now or search End of the Age Plus in the App Store or Google Play. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch button to continue today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. Now, during the time of this second exile, just like the, uh, the Hebrew children did down in uh, Babylonian captivity, devout Jews prayed three times a day with their faces turned towards Jerusalem that God would forgive their sins, return the Jews to their promised land. You know, it became a custom at Jewish weddings for the groom during the ceremony to crush a glass under his heel... And this was to indicate that on the happiest day of his life, that he could not be completely happy since the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. I mean, it's the center of Jewish life. You understand? Throughout the exile, when Jews parted from one another's company, it became their custom to conclude their goodbyes with next year in Jerusalem, always looking for the rebuilding of the temple. Well, Jumping forward now to just some recent history, after Hitler's horrible Holocaust, the United Nations decided that, hey, it's time to give the Jews a place that they can call home. On November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to partition the Holy Land that, again, that God had given Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and through their lineage forever. Now you've got the world government saying, hey, let's partition off a little section and give it to Israel. If they only understood the Bible, this never would have had to happen. But obviously, the United Nations is a humanitarian organization. They don't pay any attention to the Bible, so they don't care about that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that we should. The false narrative and all these propaganda that comes from the United Nations, no, no, we don't follow that. We're following with the Bible. If God said, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee, I want to be blessed by God. So I'm going to stand with and I'm going to protect Israel all the way to the end, folks. Because much prophecy is going to be focused right on that little region over there. 
Now, so the UN voted to partition the Holy Land into two nations, Israel and Palestine. And the world body obviously decided that Jerusalem would be declared an international city and that it would be placed under United Nations control. And the Arabs refused the partition plan. They didn't want any Jews there. So they launched a war to destroy the newborn nation of Israel. Well, when a ceasefire was declared in 1949, Israel controlled West Jerusalem and Jordan occupied East Jerusalem, which is what uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were talking about, East Jerusalem and the West Bank out there. But Jordan occupied East Jerusalem, including the Temple Mount, and uh, Israel immediately adopted Jerusalem as its capital because they had control of the western section. Well, in the 1967 Six-Day War, when that broke out, Jordan launched an attack against Israel. Israel counterattacked, and it drove Jordan out of Jerusalem all the way back across the Jordan River to the boundaries that they have today. And so in 1980, Israel officially annexed East Jerusalem, which is where the Temple Mount is located, and declared the city to be Israel's undivided capital, which is what God had decided that for them thousands of years ago, right? Well, on August 20, 1980, the United Nations adopted Resolution 478, and and it, it, it reiterated its position that all actions altering the status of the city were null and void. So the current situation today, the United Nations views that as illegal in the eyes of the international community and international law. And it called upon states that had established embassies in Jerusalem to withdraw them, which is exactly what happened. All nations placed their embassies all the way out by the Mediterranean Sea in Tel Aviv, bowing to the will of the United Nations. So, think of it like this. The United Nations recognizes every chosen capital of each of its member states, except for one state. Guess who that is? Yes, it's Israel. Well, the U.S. Congress decided that injustice of this situation should no longer be tolerated. So, both houses of Congress overwhelmingly passed the Jerusalem Embassy Act on October 23, 1995. And really the act recognized Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel and called for Jerusalem to remain an undivided city. And it also required the U.S. Embassy to be moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem by May 31, back in 1999. Well, of course, that didn't happen. I mean, the only way that presidents could avoid this law was to sign a waiver every six months declaring that the moving of the embassy would endanger America's national sovereignty. And throughout the presidencies, uh, President Clinton, Bush, uh, President Obama, they used this waiver, all of them signed it every six months, as an excuse to obey the United Nations rather than obey U.S. law. Well, of course, you know what happened just a few years ago on uh, December 6th, 2017, President Trump announced that the U.S. is now going to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. 
and that plans would begin immediately to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem. Well, of course, the reactions to Trump's move were swift and loud. At the, at the, United, uh, the U.N. Security Council, it was called on December 18th of 2017, and there was a resolution calling for America to rescind its recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital, and there was a vote held, and the vote, there's 15 members, the vote was 14 in favor to one against. However, the one against was the United States, which enjoys absolute veto power on the UN Security Council. So the resolution was defeated, it meant nothing. Three days later, a resolution condemning the American action was, def- was offered at the United Nations General Assembly, where all nations have a vote, and the U.S. has no veto power. Well, the vote was 128 for, 9 against, and there were 35 abstentions, and 21 people, 21 voters were actually absent. So the resolution carried no weight since the General Assembly has no enforcement power. And the resolution changed nothing. So, and you know that now we have moved our embassy to Jerusalem. I've been there and seen it. It's beautiful. And I love the fact that the United States has our embassy in Jerusalem as we speak. And it appears that President Joe Biden has said, I'm not going to move that. So you say, well, what's going to happen now? I mean, uh, I know we know what the prophecies say. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But now Joe Biden is president. What does the future hold? Because President Biden is a globalist. He believes in a world government. Well, according to scripture, these are the only answers that I can give, is that there is going to be a peace agreement signed between the Israelis, Palestinians. It's Daniel 9, 27. So, but it's regardless of who the president of the United States is. Whoever the president is, that doesn't change Bible prophecy. So the Bible prophesies there's going to be a peace agreement signed between the Israelis, the Palestinians, and that this peace agreement, when it has the characteristics of the prophesied characteristics of that peace agreement, the specific one, that that will start the final seven years. Regardless of if it's President Trump, President Biden, or somebody else that comes along, this prophecy is going to take place, folks. And the characteristics. So the agreement's going to do five things. It's going to create a Palestinian state in the West Bank. It's going to allow Jews presently living in that area to continue living there in a Palestinian state uh, as a Jewish minority under that Palestinian government. The Temple Mount's going to be placed under a sharing arrangement so that Jews can build their third temple there without um, disturbing the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So Israel's going to rebuild her third temple. And five, the status of Jerusalem is going to remain unsolved. The city is temporarily going to stay under Jewish control. The Bible tells us all of this. And its status will be revised, according to Daniel 9.27, seven years later. It's going to be an interim peace agreement. Because they're never going to come to a, an agreement on the city of Jerusalem. So the Palestinian-Israeli peace agreement will be signed with much fanfare, obviously. I mean, once I know that it's the one, 
a lot of things are going to be set in motion by end time ministry. He's going to mail a, a magazine to every home in Israel. And we'll be able to say at that point, folks, we've got seven years left. So it's going to be huge. We're going to be on news uh, interviews all over the place saying, hey, explain why you guys are saying this. So, I mean, there's going to be Nobel Peace Prizes that will be awarded. Uh, Political pundits are going to be contend that the core issue, feeding terrorism around the world, has now been solved. And the placing of the Temple Mount under a sharing arrangement is going to be held as the creation of a wonderful interfaith Mecca. All the religions of the world can come there and worship. A pattern for dealing with the religious strife around the world, this interfaithism. And the international community is going to pour billions of dollars into the new Palestinian state to create a viable nation with its own economy and a stable government that can take its place among the nations. And you might be sitting there wondering, Dave, why are you going through all of this? Because I want you to understand what the United States position should be during all of this. Because there is um, anti Semitism and anti-Israel sentiments gaining in this world governing body against Israel. We do not want to be a part of that. God is coming back to judge that entity. We don't want the United States being part of that. And the Bible says that we won't be, but we need to educate people on the fact that we we are 110% pro-Israel. We love Israel. We want to support and protect Israel. We do not want these... Uh, these horrible false narratives that, hey, this, that land actually belongs to the Palestinians. No. The Palestinians are Arabs that were in Palestine when they were given, when the partition plan was um, presented. And so they call them Palestinians today, but the Palestinians have never had a state. And so we've got to, I, you say, well, you don't like Palestinians. That's not true. I love the Palestinians. I'd like to see all of them go to heaven. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says concerning these prophecies and what should be our mindset towards the nation of Israel. Most of the world is against Israel. You understand? There's a lot of agendas being pushed, a lot of things. Why? Because it's a spiritual conflict. God said, I will put my name there. And when God said that, Satan said, well, okay, if that's what you want, That's what I want. And Satan has been fighting him for it ever since. And that's what's going to lead to the battle of Armageddon. So we, as the church, as people who consider themselves Christians, we've got to be pro-Israel, which in doing that, you're pro the Bible, because that's what the Bible tells us to do. I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. Okay? So I live in a Christian nation. And we as a Christian nation need to stand by Israel. Now, the new Palestinian state is going to be granted membership at the United Nations, and this is going to become a source of great pride among the Palestinian people. And I'll continue when we get back, but I think you see where I'm going and what my message is today. Because there are people in the United States, in our government, that want to economically sanction Israel And that's diametrically opposed to the Bible and everything that's playing out in the end time. Most of us walk around day by day blind to the prophecies being fulfilled right before us. Every news report brings a new piece 
to the puzzle in the race towards the final seven years and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, more than ever, it is important for God's people to understand the times in which we are living. On November the 12th, 2013, we opened our Jerusalem Prophecy College in downtown Jerusalem. These same courses are now available online for people who are unable to attend the classes in person. We welcome students to join us and discover the link between current events and the prophecies of the Bible. Take your place in the prophecy of Daniel 1133. Enroll in the Jerusalem Prophecy College today. Go to JerusalemProphecyCollege.com. You know, everybody, I love going through these, uh, this history and everything, the prophecies, because it shows us how detailed the Bible is about prophecy and how much Israel and Jerusalem is going to be involved in the prophecies of the Bible. I love studying this. And these scenarios are going to play out. Think of it. The construction of the third temple in this, during this time is going to become Israel's number one priority. I mean, progress on its construction is going to be continually in the news. The temple is going to be completed within the first three and one half years of that final seven-year period. Jewish authorities are, will have estimated that with modern technology that they can actually complete the construction of the temple within one year. And while this temple is being built, religious leaders in Israel, they're going to begin preparation for the anticipation of the resumption of ministry in the temple. There are priests being trained uh, now. The priests are going to be trained to perform the rituals required by the law of Moses. Kohens from all around the world will prepare to resume their ordained responsibilities. Uh, and then there's going to be a temple dedication. Think of it. When the third temple is completed, standing north of the Dome of the Rock, its beauty is going to be breathtaking. I mean, every news source around the world will be focused on it. It's going to be a time for the dedication of the temple to God so that the daily rituals of worship can begin, right? This is in the very near future. Invitations are going to be issued to kings and presidents, prime ministers from all over the world. Prominent religious leaders from around the globe are going to make their way to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm hoping to be there. The presidents of the United States are going to be there. The president, whoever it is at that point. The pope from the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, he, of course he'll be there. Without, without a doubt, the Antichrist. And the false prophet will be in attendance, even, even though their identities will not yet have been firmly established. And the major news services of the world will be uh, assigned their, their areas on the Temple Mount to televise this historic ceremony to the four corners of the earth. Everybody will be interested in this event. I mean, it's going to be a, a, a gala such as not been seen on the earth in 2,000 years. After these obligatory remarks that are chosen by the world's leader and Israel's prime minister, the rabbis of Israel will begin the religious aspect of the dedication ceremony. And there will be singing by the temple choir and the, the sounding of the shofar. Imagine, these, the young rabbis are going to enter the temple mount, leading the dedication sacrifice towards the brazen altar at the center of the outer court of the temple. 
And, you know, there's going to be an uncomfortable murmuring that's going to be heard rippling through those in attendance. Are they actually going to do this in front of the entire world? Sacrifice an animal on live TV? But it's all, you know, it it has already been explained in the program to that they got when they got there that, hey, this this is going to be necessary. The animal is going to be placed on the altar. The killing is going to be done expertly and according to the um, halakhic guidelines. And the blood is going to be captured in a basin prepared for the specific purpose. Then the priests are going to proceed to, the, to complete the administration as required by the Jewish scriptures. And finally, the choir again is going to offer this rousing rendition of praise and worship to God. There's going to be weeping, rejoicing, congratulations offered by the world leaders to the prime minister of Israel. And for days and weeks after that, rabbis will be interviewed on major networks of the world. They're going to explain their worship ceremonies of the Jewish religion, explain why each of these things are being done. And the world's going to undergo a re-education in the observance of the Jewish religion. There will be news sources that have cameras trained on this 24-7. And Jewish leaders will undoubtedly attempt to downplay some of the aspects of the temple worship. In particular, they will avoid speaking specifically about the daily animal sacrifices that the Jewish law requires. But once the temple rituals are in full swing, the issue is going to be unavoidable. And animal sacrifices are going to begin to be um, to offered each morning and each evening. And this daily transport of animals to the temple and the stream of blood that's going to flow from these sacrifices is going to be captured by the media and displayed for all the world to see. And you can only imagine the, the, the animal rights activists, well, they're going to undoubtedly be incensed by all of this. They're going to begin to launch the protest on the Temple Mountain around the world. International pressure is going to escalate at an alarming rate. The pressure for something to be done, and it's going to be impossible to ignore. And the peace agreement is, when the peace agreement is struck, let's say, and the Temple Mount placed under a sharing arrangement, the United Nations or some other international body is going to be appointed to supervise the Temple Mount and to settle any difficulties that might arise. Well, this offering of the daily sacrifices in the temple, it will not have been anticipated. I mean, but once the dispute over them arises, the Jews are going to explain that they're required by their God to faithfully offer these sacrifices to him. And it's going to be undeniable that the Jewish scriptures do mandate these sacrifices Yet the entire world's going to be re- revolted by what they view as this extreme animal cruelty. And the problem's not going to go away. It will have to be dealt with. Well, everyone's going to look to the United Nations for the solution. And by this time, there's going to be a world leader that will have risen to a level of prominence in the world community until he's going to be largely viewed as the leader of the world. And as such... People are going to begin to demand that he take responsibility for the Temple Mount crisis. And after weeks of deliberation, the world leader is going to possibly call for a press conference on the Temple Mount. And in his own unique way, he's going to acknowledge that the offering of the Jewish sacrifices was required by the Jewish religion. But then he's going to mention that many people of the world, including some Jews, have been discussing the possibility that he 
is their long-awaited Messiah, since he will have been instrumental in bringing peace to Israel and preparing the way for the building of the third temple. Two things the Jewish people believe that the Messiah will do. So this world leader, he's going to remind everyone the reason sharing the temple mount has been, uh, has even become possible is because that he has taught them that he, that all, that they, um, they all really worship the same God anyway. Muslims call him Allah, Jews call him Jehovah, Christians call him Jesus. And almost everyone at the press conference will nod in agreement. Yes, you're the world leader. Most of them will by then have accepted all worship the same God, even though they call him by different names. That's where all this interfaithism is headed. That's why there's some things in the end time you absolutely cannot be a part of. But there are other things that we, you, you absolutely have to be a part of. And so this world leader is going to continue pointing out that each of these religions also believe in a, a coming anointed one. Muslims call him the Mahdi, Jews again the Messiah, and Christians will call him Jesus. But don't you see that this individual, this world leader is going to say, well, hey, don't you see that you not only worship the same God, but you are also looking for the same anointed one. And then's going to come the blockbuster announcement. This world leader who will be the Antichrist is going to say, now, I, I have not responded to the rumors about me, by, but about being the Messiah until now. However, being the time has come, I must respond. Yes, I am your Messiah. I'm your Mahdi. I, I'm, I'm the second coming of Jesus. And consequently, these sacrifices, they're no longer going to be needed. Your Messiah has arrived. And for a moment, the crowd's going to stand in stunned silence. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Then spontaneously, applause will break out. And it's going to spread through the audience. And this is the event called the abomination of desolation. God said repeatedly in the Jewish scriptures that he had placed his name on the temple mount. The Bible prophesies, these prophecies specifically say that when the Antichrist comes, he will stand on the temple of God claiming to be God. And this act of blasphemy is called the abomination of desolation. The Apostle Paul prophesied about that event um, 2,000 years ago. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come or gathering together unto him in the second coming. That day shall not come except there comes a falling away first. The man of sin, the Antichrist, will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth all and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he is God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three through four. So this last day world leader is called by several names in scripture in the, in the, the one I just read, he said that it's called the name, the man of sin, the son of perdition. And it it says that it's, it's at this event that the revealing of the man of sin will take place. Well, of course, most of us commonly today refer to this guy as the Antichrist, this world leader. And you remember Jesus himself prophesied about the abomination of desolation. He said, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet in Daniel 9, 27, standing in that holy place down there on the temple mount, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee. Judea is exactly the area that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are talking about 
sanctioning Israel for. That because there's, uh, and, and Jesus said, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Jesus prophesied a great time of tribulation that would occur out there in the West Bank, in Judea. He said, when you see this event on the, on the Temple Mount, when this Antichrist stands in the temple claiming to be God, you need to let those in Judea out in the West Bank flee because there's going to be a great time of persecution. Well, what is he talking about? The scenario that I brought up at the beginning of my program that Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and other people are wanting to economically sanction Israel to get them to stop the, the expansion of the settlements out there in the West Bank. These are the people that are going to have to flee. The world community looks down their nose at the settlers. The boycott, divest, and sanction movement is all about sanctioning those individuals to stop them from uh, building their settlements. They don't want businesses, to, Jewish businesses to prosper out there in the West Bank. So they want to boycott, sanction, and divest from them. And so the world looks down their nose. There are many people that live in, in Israel proper that look down their nose at them saying, hey, you're standing in the way of peace. And so Jesus warned them. He said, when you see that abomination of desolation occur, let them which be in Judea flee. But guess what? End time ministries, you say, well, that's a New Testament prophecy. Who's going to warn those people out there in the West Bank to flee? That's where end time ministries comes in. We're going to have a, we're going to mail a home to uh, a magazine to every home in Israel. And we're going to have a door knocking campaign three years into the final seven years. And we're going to door knock every home out in the West Bank. And we're going to give them a chance to leave Because everyone we can save, we can pull out of there. There's a chance of them being saved. And so we're going to go out and talk to them and say, hey, here's a New Testament prophecy. There's going to be another Jewish Holocaust that occurs. Let's see if we can't move you to another location. These prophecies are very real. So in the end time, my message today is that we're not following the false narrative that comes from the international community. We're not anti-Israel. We're not looking to economically sanction Israel. We want to stand with, protect Israel all the way to the end. It's Revelation 12, 14. The woman is carried away on the wings of a great eagle. This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries, or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.